The OTB Brief. Everything you need to know about sport every morning. Need to get on top of the day's sports news? Well, the OTB Brief is the only sports update you'll need every morning. With all the breaking stories, post-match reaction. They had one more day to rest. We, we were really in trouble really in trouble to build the team and the best bits from off the ball all in a 10 minute podcast oh sweat sweaty palms uh, you, 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 uh, of course you guys know what it's like but uh, uh, that was nerve that was nervy yeah. the otb brief online every morning from 7 a.m on offtheball.com the goal out app and everywhere you get your podcasts the otb podcast network otb gold the very best of Off The Ball. Hello, you're welcome along to some OTB Gold. It's Joe Malloy here. Today, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. This was in November 2017. This was the first time Ray Boom Boom Mancini was ever in the show. This was a tricky one in some ways. It was me doing this interview. Ray is one of these guests that I often feel a touch sorry for or a touch wary of interviewing because they have achieved many great things. They are, are brilliant, world-class in an aspect of life and yet they're remembered for one thing. And that mightn't be very fair that that's what they're remembered for. And in an interview, whilst you appreciate all the many achievements, it is that one thing that you almost want to talk to them about most. And you are very conscious of the fact that they may not want to talk about that thing, or it is the only thing they get interviewed about. So we had planned to record this interview with uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini before going on air. Uh, sadly, there were a few issues. He had to drop his kids to school. He was very apologetic, and we moved things around. And we said, right, well, let's just um, we'll do it live, and we'll see how things go. So I didn't know uh, to what extent he would want to even approach the name Dooku Kim, uh, the fighter who died after their fight back in 1982. Thankfully, as you'll hear, Ray Bumba Mancini is a total gent and was very open and warm and friendly and. Uh, I remember coming off the air buzzing at this interview because he had been so brilliant and it had gone better than expected, thanks to him, really, and uh, the generosity in the interview. So uh, this was definitely one which sticks in my mind and has done for a long time. November 2017, a story I was not familiar with, I must confess. A shout-out to Ronan Mullen here in Off the Ball Towers who uh, suggested the piece and who uh, got hold of Ray Boom Boom Mancini and set it all up, so... A big hat tip to him. So here he is. Definitely a favourite piece of mine, that's for sure. Ray Bumba Mancini talking, uh, well, it's a dreadful subject matter in many ways, but uh, made for a compelling interview. OTB Gold. The very best of off the ball. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I was telling the listeners we tried to record this earlier on, but we're going now. Yeah, hey, life's much better anyway. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. You never know what I'm going to say. No, no, just... <laughs> uh, w- one of the brief things you mentioned to me, actually, uh, when we when we chatted earlier, was I know your father, who um, was a fighter as well, Lenny Man- right. Mancini, was uh, Italian, obviously. Didn't realise your mother was Irish. My mother's Irish. Now, again, uh, I, my, my, uh, my mother's main name is Atreid, which is an English name. But my grandfather used to say we're, Irish, we're English by Irish extraction or – I never understood what the heck that meant, but I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, my, but my grandmother was a Flynn, Dorothy Flynn. Right. So that's Irish as you can get right there, right? Sure is. Where I'm not sure what part. I'm not sure what part of Ireland they're from, to be honest with you. And I wish I did, no, uh, because, uh, you know, that's my next trip. That's my next goal. I've been to every other country in the U.K. except Ireland. 
And next year, when I come back over to the UK, I've been promised we're going to go to Ireland. Okay. So. Don't don't be walking around here saying Ireland's in the UK or you'll get in trouble. That's the only tip oh. I'll give you. Oh, I, I'm glad you told me. No, <laughs> no. Well, the UK, I thought that was the four countries. Am I wrong? It's England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Oh, no. Okay, so Ireland. I see. I know. Right, right. The we're Northern the South. Ireland, right. Yeah. So, okay, so yeah, the, that's, so that's a helpful tip for you. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. I'm glad you told me because <laughs> God forbid. Look, the Irish, they're tough as they come anyway. You know, and I don't want to know, God forbid, I get over there and I start saying I'm in the UK, that I got to get in a beef and I'm going to be ba- fighting on the street. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's great to have you on. And I mean, there's a whole load to talk to you about. For instance, I don't know where you're living now, Ray. I couldn't quite find that out. But um, you're from Youngstown, Ohio. And you and say... I'm back in Youngstown. That's where I'm at now. Oh, are you? Back okay. Yeah. Well, you, say of, you, say of, uh, you say of Youngstown that... Um, my fighting style was indicative of the town. You take some shots and you give more than you take and you're still standing. It's a town, uh, which I, I know you had a really happy childhood, but also there were some violent events there. Like at one point it was being called murder town and crime town. Yeah. So that, you're back in Youngstown. You obviously love it there then. Yeah, I love being in Youngstown. You know, it's funny because all those uh, names that were bestowed on it, crime town, USA, murder town, bomb city, USA. Uh, yeah, through the years there has been, you know, we're one of the few countries, in, we're one of the few cities in the country controlled by two major mob families, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. But it's been that way forever, and there's always been. A, and it's, I guess when you grow up here, you don't realize that for everyone else, they think, "Oh, what a tough town." But yeah, it's a tough town. You know, we're still blue-collar people. We're hardworking people. Blue-collar. The steel mills were were thriving back then. I never looked at it as a crime town. I never looked at. It, I was never scared to go any place. Um, even now that I'm back, I don't, you know, the town's not the same, obviously. Uh, it's much different, but uh, I never look at it as a place that I can't, I can't go or any neighborhood that I can't go. Mm. I, I feel comfortable going any place. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's for others on the outside looking in, it would be considered a tough town uh, and that may be a bit dangerous. But for me, no, I'm comfortable here. I'm com- I know everybody and everybody knows me and you know, I, I'm back. Yeah. I love my son. Home is home. Your father, yeah. uh, Lenny Mancini, was a fighter. He became a number one contender for the world lightweight title at one stage in his career. But World War Two happened and various things happened and it didn't, it didn't quite work out. He said to you, uh, your father, Lenny, I didn't win them all, but I never took a step back. And, and it seems to me, his nickname was Boom Boom as well, that you guys maybe were similar type of fighters, maybe not about um, elegance and, 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 and dancing, more pressure fighters, pro fighters. Well, yeah, my father, you know, right, my father, uh, I love that line too, it's his favourite line. Ray, Ray, I never won them all, but I never took a step backwards. Hmm. But then he stopped and said, but sometimes I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my father, that was his style. I mean, you have to say, my father was five foot two. Right. <laughs> now, Five foot two with a forty inch chest. Right. So, you know, so my father was like a little fire plug. Yeah. He was coming at you, and and he, they used to call him that. You know, it, it was that same era, a little bit after Henry Armstrong. So they used to call him the White Armstrong. Right. And, and same style and whirlwind style throwing punches, and that's why before every fight, before I'd go in there, uh, before my father would come in the dressing room to meet, be with me, I wanted him there. I felt, you know, I felt a bit of comfort having him with me. Mm. So. Ten minutes before they say, "Okay, TV was okay." Ten minutes out, my father said, "Okay, Raymond, I'm gonna go sit. I'm gonna go sit down." So he gave me a hug and a kiss, and I was it was always like it was. It always became like everyone would laugh because it became like a, a, a ritual for us. But I said, "All right," I said, "Dad, what do you think I got to do today?" And 
my father was, it was just, it was always the same answer because that's just who he was. He said, ah, oh, just go in there and throw punches. Just mm. throw punches. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, that was his style. So for him, for, you know, for him, <laughs> you know, being the size that he was, but my father, if he walked in the room, you thought he was 10 foot tall. Mm. He, he walked big, you know, and that's, I learned that from him. And, and I, I tell you, um, you know, here's one thing I'm proud of. My father was five foot two, fought number one lightweight contender in the world, fought welterweight, and after the war, he fought middleweight, and even some light heavyweights, because that's that there was no lightweight limit. So a lot of guys would come down from light heavyweight, or he'd fight them over the weight, because he'd just make the money. Mm. You know, and my father was never knocked out or stopped through his whole career right. by anybody. Now, you know what significant is? Because everybody got stopped or knocked out at some time. There's only two fighters, other fighters that during that era that I, that were never stopped or knocked out. Billy Graham and uh, Kid Gavilan mm. that, I, that I know of. That I know could be others. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's the one thing I'm proud of my father's career, and I'm proud of him, and he was very proud of that he fought everybody and anybody, yeah. never took a backward step, and he was never knocked out. I know you um, You always said to him, I'm going to win you a uh, a world title someday. And and your yeah. career, so you, you love boxing as well. You're looking at his scrapbooks. It's, 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 I mean, it's what you want to do. The 1976 Montreal Games are slightly significant in that they really, probably for, for the first time to an American audience, really showcased the lighter weights and... Right. You know, people saw there was really exciting fights at lower weights. And so you come come along the late 70s, early 80s. You've got what, you know, Bob Arum looks at you and, and loves your style and CBS get on board. And you're you're regularly featured in the, the primetime spots thereafter. So a really quick rise and, and you know, you're a ratings hit is what uh, Bob Arum says about you. And, and like very quickly, you get a world title shot and it comes in 1982. You're still, you're 20, 21 years old. No, actually, my first title try was 1981, October 3rd, against Alexis Arguello. Oh, yeah, that, you I, lost that one. I was 20, uh, yeah, I did. I was 20 years old. That was my first title try. Yeah. You know, and everybody thought I was crazy for fighting Alexis Arguello. And I said, well, what do you think? He's one of the greatest fighters of all time. There's no dispute. I used to love Alexis. I was a fan. And I watched him when he won the featherweight title, and I see when he won the junior lightweight title. Mm. But I, got, I thought I was going to be stronger. I thought I was going to be a little too young for him. And... You know, but here's what I tell you. I beat the number six contender in the world, and I beat the number three contender in the world. Where do you go from there? Mm. When they offer the title, what are you going to say? No, I'll wait for it to come around next time. Well, there is no next time. Ask my father how many title shots you get. Yeah. So there was no next time. And and I said to everybody, to be the best, you want to fight the best. To be the best, you got to beat the best. So why would I want anybody else? Now, yeah. going back to that fight with Lexus, it's where experience took over. My lack of experience, you know, is where his, he took over in the last three rounds. And But here's what I tell people. This is why the true championship distance is 15 rounds, not 12, 15. Because if there's 12 rounds, I beat Lexus. Mm. I'm the world champion. Mm. But the last three rounds are known as the dog rounds, the championship rounds. Mm. But in, in boxing terminology, we call them the dog rounds. We see those last three rounds. We're going to say, who brings the dog out of each other? You know, and, uh, but that's why. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer fights should be 15. That's a TV decision. That's not a medical decision. Nothing else. It's a TV decision. TV gets more, they, they get more commercial times. They could have an opening and a closing. But that's the only reason. If, if TV said, look, we're, we're not going to show another fight unless it's 15 rounds, or in the way ends the morning of, we'd be back to the way ends the morning of a 15-round fight. Okay. TV controls it all. 
Okay, well, I might come back to that point actually because that's, that's kind of relevant to your career and that's one of the, the things that's said about your career. But the World Championship itself, so May 8th, 1982 and you're in Las Vegas and right. you're fighting Arturo Frias and I mean, like people can watch this round or remind themselves of it if they haven't in a while because it only goes for 2 minutes 54 seconds and it's extraordinary story. Like he, he lands a pretty good blow on you early on. You're bleeding from your eyebrow. We've got a clip here just to jog your memory of, I guess, what was an amazing, miraculous kind of moment for you. And to set the context, you threw 33 punches here in 22 seconds. We've just got two guys just letting fly in the first round of a world title fight. Not today. Yeah, yeah. Was it your plan yeah, to just it. go in all guns blazing at the start? Well, of course. You know, first of all, that was my style. I'm going to come on, jump on you early, and, and try to take your heart away. But I knew it against Arturo. I knew that he was fighting a guy similar in style. He had a lot of heart. Uh, he was strong. I felt I was going to be physically stronger. I didn't think he was he was going to be as big a puncher as I was. So I thought I'd be able to you know wear him down. But it, you know. Whatever your feelings are, I, I didn't think I'd ever have another shot at the title. Mm. You know, we go in retrospect, everyone can get a shot now, but it's not, it wasn't like that back then. Mm. So um, the fact that I got shot against Alexis, then I got a second shot in such a short amount of time. Uh, I had two fights in between. I had to win those both. Um, I, yeah, I thought I was going to jump on them. The experience I gained from the Aguayo fight I was going to use. And I was not going to be denied that day. I was I was going to win that yeah. title no matter what. Well, for, and, your, for, uh, for your family, yeah. so your father, you know, your, your father's history in the sport. We don't really right. have time to get into it now, and it's not so relevant right. to your career. But your your brother had been had been shot, and that had, needless to say, taken right. a massive toll on the family. So your father's there ringside, and you've done it. You know, like can you even yeah. describe the moment? Is it the greatest moment of your life? Oh, absolutely. There's no dispute. I said, other than each, seeing each one of my children born, there's nothing greater in my life that I've ever, you know, achieved or, or felt. Yeah. It was a, it was a euphoric feeling. It was, it was like euphoria. And, and I think, you know, you, ha- you don't ever have those experiences except when you see each one of your children born. And maybe if you're, you know, blessed to have another experience in your life. But that's it. Mm. It's, it's just, it's, out of the, it's like an out-of-body experience. And, I finally felt, after all those years, I finally accomplished my dream, you know, and, and not only for my father and, and myself, but, you know, I, I was representing the city of Youngstown, my hometown of the city of Youngstown, Ohio, but I never realized to what extent until after that fight, mm. you know. Well, suddenly and, you're a uh, superstar. Like, what did your dad say to you as a matter of interest, or do you even remember in the madness of the aftermath? Oh, no, we were just hugging each other and kissing each other. My mother, my sister, my mom, everyone was crying. We were just, <laughs> we, you know, I'm saying, we did it, we did it, you know, we finally did it. Yeah. And, and it just, that I remember. We were just hold, just hugging each other and kissing and crying. I mean, it was, I, I think it was a moment <laughs> because I think my city of Youngstown, they, 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 they took the, they took the uh, journey with me, mm. so to speak. Because mm. you have to understand, I turned pro only two years after the steel mill shut down. 
You have to understand, we had, our unemployment was up to 28%. There were over 100,000 men without jobs in the city. And people would come to my fight and, and cash in the welfare checks, their, their, their uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, unemployment checks, mm. come to my fight. Mm. And so I knew that I, I was representing just more than myself. But again, you don't know to what extent until you get to that magnitude. And I was basically carrying the hopes and dreams of the people as well as my family. Yeah. And so when I won that, the town, you know, I, I, not only for my family, but for the town itself. I can imagine. We have a clip here from The Good Son, The Life of Ray Boomer Mancini. And you can, just to give people a sense of what a superstar you were across America at just 21 world title uh, win, the clip here is, it has some of your childhood friends, but it also has Sugar Ray Leonard. It has Bob Arum talking. And you'll hear, first of all, the actor Mickey Rourke. He was the hottest thing on television. Everybody was just in awe of this guy. I got captivated watching Raymond Mancini and hearing his story about his dad and and watching his fights. His fights were action-packed. Ray was always great for ratings. People just ate it up. And he became an icon on the American sports scene. Ray Boom Boom Mancini was not just a fighter, he was an attraction, he was a star. When he fought, people watched, big time. At that time, you know, the unemployment rate was sky high, nothing was going right in Youngstown. People gravitated towards Ray. Ray was Youngstown. When we're 12 years old, we give our dad a tie or we give him a card or something. Raymond gave his dad a promise that I will win the title that you so well deserve. Yeah, amazing stuff. And so, superstardom, like you're on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, it's Radio Ray, so yeah, I hope you don't mind me saying you're a very good-looking guy. You could talk the talk. <laughs> you were an endorsement dream, uh, really. Sugar Ray Leonard had recently retired. People were saying we need a new superstar. And the Rocky franchise had just really kicked into gear. And you were kind of seen as the real-life Rocky story. Like, so, I know um, Frank Sinatra was a big fan. Did you did you meet Frank? Oh, yeah, I got a chance to meet Mr. Sinatra. Uh, first time was uh, before one of my fights, and I was standing backstage. We took a picture together of me putting the glove on his hand, and and after that, I got to be friends with him. And several times, I'd see him and go to his concerts. And if I was in Vegas, I'd go visit him. He was a wonderful man, wonderful yeah. man, and I was very honored to be, you know, to be associated with him. You know, as a matter of fact, but I was listening to the the, the clip yeah. of the uh, film. Now you have Mickey in there. Don't forget, we have Ed O'Neill. In there, Ed O'Neill's from Youngstown, from Modern Family, and and uh, who, uh, uh, you know, Ed o, uh, Al Bundy. Uh, oh yes, Mary of course. Children, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie, Ed O'Neill, and then the last voice you heard, but you know, he said some more little boys would give our fathers a, a necktie, or yeah. that's Father O'Neill, Father Tim O'Neill, who was my teacher. Right. And he was the one. Father O'Neill, Father O'Neill would come into my dressing uh, room. He's the one. He'd come with my father, and, and before every fight, he'd give me a blessing before every fight. And then him, he take him. My father would walk out, and you know, gave me some sort of comfort, you know. And that was that's why I felt I always father knew that all my fights, and I used to say he was my my personal priest, you know. He was there for everything. He was my teacher in high school, and then later on, one of my became very very close friends, and so right. 
He's Amazing. been with me through all, through it all. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of Irishmen, a lot of Irishmen around me. I, I, listen, <laughs> look at you, look at you. <laughs> I, absolutely. Um, I guess you know where I'm going with this now, which yeah, is I do. the I unfortunate do. thing. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you go through a day of your life or a week of your life without it coming up? Uh, there's days, yeah, there's days that it doesn't come up, but uh, not too many weeks that go by that don't come up. Right. You know, and <laughs> specifically because the anniversary was just, uh, you know, last this month. Or, yeah. Yeah, just a couple. Uh, Ten days ago, maybe. So, um, yeah, I mean, it happens. It comes up. But I tell people, I said, look, I've talked about it long enough. Now, out of respect to the memory of Kim, and out of respect to my family, I said, have you read the book? And a lot of people go, oh, not, oh yeah, yeah. I said, okay, or have you seen the documentary? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay, it answers all the questions. Mm. Or if they say, no, I haven't got a chance to. I said, well, then you should, because mm. it answers all the questions. The reason, one of the reasons I did that documentary is because – so I wouldn't have to answer the questions repeatedly through the rest of my life. Yeah. I pretty much answered, you know, I've given the same answer pretty much uh, through, the, through the years. And, you know, it gets a little tiresome. And, you know, and I understand why people ask. And there's, I understand that, you know, that's human nature. And that's okay. Mm. But, you know, I think if they watch it enough, then they get it. You know, it's okay. I got the answer now. Don't need to ask it no more. Yeah. So well, that's, the, yeah, the documentary is The Good Son, The Life of Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Do you mind if we touch on parts of it? Because I know you've never been on no, Irish no, radio no, before. I okay. No, I well, 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 say move on at any point if you want. So, I mean, there will be people listening who mightn't be aware, I guess. So no, you're world champion and you're, you're, it's, it's all at your feet. CBS love you. America loves you. And your second defence is against Dooku Kim, uh, the mandatory challenger, South Korean. It takes place in November 1982. And, and the anniversary, as you said, is this month. That's what kind of uh, tweaked it in our brain. It's in, it's in Las Vegas. Uh, there's a 10,000-seater outdoor arena. It's a huge uh, event. Um, we might jump in at one point where uh, you say in the documentary, you could actually hear him. You don't spend that much time together pre-fight, but you could hear Kim in the changing rooms before the fight. His dressing room was like next to mine. There, there was obviously a wall, but he was in the next room, and I heard him screaming these these, these bone chilling screams and ah ah, and he banging the lockers, and the lockers were you know rattling, and and, and you know everyone stopped, and my my whole team, and, and we, we look at each other, and I you know and I said oh, I, I, so I broke the ice. I said, well, I guess we're gonna, we're in for a rough one tonight. And, you know, because, you know, I look, I knew what I was going into. I saw the tape. Dave, my manager, David Wolf, sent me the tape. He said, look at your next opponent, you know. And I seen the tape, and I saw a round, round and a half. I didn't have to see two complete rounds. And I turned it off. And I called David. I said, okay, let's make the fight. I said, it's going to be a war. Mm. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a headache. Yeah. But let's, let's, you know, make the fight. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I knew what I was going into. Every fighter knows what he's going into. You got to. And plus, my style of fighting, I did, I, look, even if it was supposed to be relatively an easy fight on paper, it was never going to be an easy fight for me. I couldn't, my style wouldn't allow me, wouldn't, wouldn't afford me to be, have an easy fight. Mm. Because the physical, I'm, in the, I'm going to be physically on top of you. And look, and you've got to take some to give some. So when I'm coming in, I'm going to probably eat some punches. But that's why I made the statement. But hopefully at the end of the day, you're going to eat, you're going to eat more than I do. Mm. And I'm going to be still standing. Mm. But so I was always prepared mentally what I was going up against, no matter who it was. And uh, but this particular fight, I knew I was what reading a guy. Uh, I was going. I was watching a guy who had the same determination and, 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 and that I had, and, and you know, the 
have reasons to wanting to win the world title that I had. Yeah, and so funny enough, he had actually um, he had made a miniature coffin for his training camp, and it basically said one of us is going to go. Well, not one of us. He said, "It's it's for Mancini." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he admitted. I said, "I didn't know that." He didn't know anything about the coffin. I found that out later. Right. And and his people said that he had said they said, "What did you make that for?" He said, "Because either I'm going home in this, or Mancini's going home in this." Now, but what he actually had written was written. He wrote on um, his uh, lampshade. In the dressing room, and he wrote, "Kill or be killed." Now, see, do you understand how eerie this is? Mm-hmm. That after all this came out later, that he wrote this, and he said that with the coffin, and how prophetic it was, because that's what he had planned for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I didn't know any of this beforehand. Thank God I. Uh, thank God I didn't. Yeah. Because it scared the heck out of me. Yeah. It's it, it would have scared you know I mean when it scared it would have been wow man this this you know you know you go fight for the right reason. That would have been different. That would have been definitely be, uh, when you know somebody's going there to try to do that type of damage to you. Yeah. Well, it affected, it would have affected me. There was no dispute. It would affect me. Uh, Gil, Clancy, so, Gil Clancy was one of the CBS analysts. And, and I, I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you know everything about the fight there is to know. But just for the listeners, he said at one point in the sixth round, something's going to happen in this fight. Either one guy's going to get busted up or nail the other guy very badly. It was a ferocious fight because of the styles you both had. And he was so, you know, Kim was so determined. This was his big chance. This was the opportunity of his lifetime. As, as you're into uh, the 12th round, for instance, the 13th round, are you thinking to yourself, this is a bit different. This is a war. This is out of the ordinary. Well, I knew that I was right from the jump. But like I said, I knew going into it. You know, I always prepare for war. I always prepare for war. That's because of my style. I have to. Yeah. But I knew... Right for the jump. If you watch the fight, the first punch he threw a straight left and caught me. Yeah. Right for the jump. Yeah. The fight was on right from the jump. You know, we we met Senaringi. He threw a straight left hand, caught me. I hit him. You know, and and then boom, we stood toe to toe. And um, that's uh, yeah, that was what's up. I mean, so I knew what I was going into into the ring with, but it hit me. I mean, literally with the first punch. That's it was on. So there was no rest for the weary. In this fight, well, I don't, in the in the in the thirteenth round, uh, you threw, yeah. and this is, I mean, he's too brave for his own good. Kim, in this instance, yeah. you yeah. threw you threw forty four consecutive punches unanswered, and so it looks for all the world like this is it, it's done, and then right. somehow in that same round, he rebounds at the end, yeah, and starts yeah. throwing punches back at you, and then we're into the fourteenth round, which is ultimately the final round. So, I mean, he just would he just would not quit forty four consecutive punches thrown um it's i mean it's it's a knockout and you go off and celebrate i presume it's it's an amazing fight you're you're i presume delighted and also utterly drained afterwards well let's go back to the sure. 13th round i threw 40 something unanswered punches but the reason i didn't hit him all the punches he was rocking he was bobbing and weaving i was hitting him with a lot of them yeah. but i was missing a lot of them so it kept bobbing with the referee which really couldn't jump in because he was still because kim was still uh, aware enough to to bob and weave make me miss. Yeah. So after 47 answers punches, you know, I got a little arm weary, of course. And then I, we come out of a clinch, and he starts coming backing me up, throwing straight punches at me. And then he kept coming at me. Right. And like you said, he, you know, he, he rebounded, and, 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 you know, and he started coming on, and, you know, and the place is going crazy. The fans are going, you know, going crazy, mm. rooting for him. And it was just different. I said, wow, man. And then, you know, that's, the bell rang finally, thank God. Mm. And then I went back to my corner. And um, beginning of the 14th round, again, I jumped. I just ran out there. He came out. And 
he went to throw punch. I sidestepped him, and I, I just, you know, hit him on the left, a right, and uh, another left and a straight right, and that's when he went down. Mm. So it was like a, you know, four punch combination. Yeah, 19 seconds and, into yeah, that 14. Yeah, round. and we were, oh yeah, we were jubilant, and we were jumping up and down, right. going crazy because that was such a war. It was such a rugged fight. I mean, it was a great look. It was a great win. It was a great, great victory. But after and subsequently, because of what happened, there's nothing great about it. There's nothing good about it. Yes. But if that, if if thank God, if thank God, God forbid, he didn't pass. If he didn't go into a coma and pass away, that would be one of those fights that would be shown on ESPN classics all the time. There's a but there's a chance. Yeah, because of what happened. Um, there's there's a because chi- what happened. There's nothing good. So. Yeah, there's a there's, there's a chilling photo. Sorry to interrupt you there. There's a chilling photo of him being stretched out of the ring. You didn't see that. You didn't see that at the time. You didn't no, know, right? No, I never saw that until when I saw the replay of, uh, on TV that they carried him on the ring because people said how insensitive that we were jumping down and celebrating. I said, God forbid, if I'd have known that, we would have never been doing that. Sure. I went over to see him. You know, after go to his corner, like every fight, after every fight, you go to each other's corner or whatever to congratulate him in his corner. He was in, he was sitting there. I saw him sitting there. You know, I see him sitting there. I, yeah, we were, we were both beat up. I was swollen. He was swollen. That's it. I just seen him sitting there. I didn't realize that we were over there when we were celebrating over on my side of the of the, uh, the ring that he slid to the floor and they brought a, a stretcher in. Never knew that. For us, we I would have never have been, you know, kept the celebration going on. When do you so, hear there's trouble? Well, <laughs> we went back to my room. I went to my room and we and after like after every fight, we were going to have an after party fight. I mean, after fight party, after fight party, <laughs> and, and after party fight too. After no, <laughs> after uh, after fight party, and um, so I was getting. I come out of the shower. I came out of the shower. I was getting dressed, and Murphy Griffith, my trainer, comes to my room, and uh, I said, "Ray, we got it, man. I got some bad news." I said, "What's the matter, Griff?" He said, "Man, this boy, the boy's in bad shape." We tell him. I said, "They took him to the hospital." I took him to the hospital. Yeah, he's in bad shape, Ray. I said, what, what's going on? They said, Ray, he ain't going to make it. He doesn't look like he's going to make it. And that was the first time. Mm. And then he said, well, Dave's going to be up soon to tell you about it. And Dave Wolf, my manager. And Dave came up shortly afterwards and told me that what happened, that, that Kim had lapsed into a coma. It was taken off in a stretcher. And that the doctor said there's no chance of him recovering. And that's the first time. And, and that's, man, that, it's like, it just took all the wind out of me. Mm. You know, and. I didn't know what to do, and Father O'Neill came up shortly afterwards, and you know he knew, of course, Dave had talked to him beforehand. He wanted Dave wanted him to be the you know to, to of course to comfort me, but you know I don't know how to how to feel, and I don't remember exactly how I felt at the moment, except you know immediately, you know you get a sick feeling, and you feeling you know yeah, in your stomach, uh, in your stomach, but I, I don't know if you if I fully comprehended the extent of it. The magnitude of it yeah. until probably next day, and um, you know when I flew back, I flew back home. The fight was on Saturday. I flew back home. I stayed Sunday. I stayed Sunday night and flew back Monday. Mm. I wanted to see if I can go see him. And when I went to, to go, I asked to go see him. They, they, the doctors said no, that would not be good. And we went to the hospital, and the doctors wouldn't let me see him. They said it just wouldn't be good. Mm. Um, so uh, they said he was he wasn't coming out of it, and that it would just be a matter of time. And I think that's the first time I grasped the, the uh, severity of the situation. And then, you know, we went back to my um, went back to my room, and um, we we had mass. 
we had mass at the hotel. Father Nilsro had mass. And that's a picture of me. There's usually the picture went over the wire that my head down, I was, had my head in my hands, you know. And um, uh, then that Monday I went back, went back to Youngstown. And when I got off the plane, the press was waiting for me there. Mm. And, you know, and that was the first time, you know. And my, my, my uh, lawyers and uh, family, they just rushed me out. I didn't answer no questions. And when I came home, it hit, it was, you know, and not only in America, I guess the one, you know, I went over the wire sure. because it was an international fight. Sure. And so, um, surely, you know, th- that's when things started really getting, that's when reality said it, that I'm getting calls from, from TV stations all over the world, um, NBC, or ABC, and all the network, uh, national networks here, CBS, they were calling to have interviews with me. And I just, I just, you know, it was, it was, Things were happening so fast, and I couldn't comprehend everything. I just didn't know how to, what to do, yeah. and you know, it's it just it was it was a whirlwind time. Um, boxing, not only you know, um, was I getting beat up by the press, but the boxing itself was on the rope, so to speak. Yeah, you know, and then you know, we'd have networks that were that I had, uh, the, you know. Networks that uh, going on, people going on national TV saying, "Here's a kid who's a Catholic Christian boy," saying that you know he's a Catholic Christian, but yet he's doing a, a he's in he's in a sport such as boxing where he's bringing harm and his job is to to knock other people unconscious and other people and bring pain to other people. I mean things like that, and it was like, man, it hurt, it hurt bad. So like, that's yeah. that's when things started happening. That's when I re- you know realized that well, this is this, this is, is life, this is the reality, yeah. and. We have, you know, and I, so I was asked to go on ABC Good Morning America, and I asked Father Nill to go on with me, and he got the okay from the, the bishop, mm. and he went on with me, and they were asking him questions about, you know, what what is the rationale of uh, being a you know Catholic priest supporting uh, somebody like me who's on my fights, and how can he justify it? And so Father Nill did a great job of. Yeah. answering that I thought but you know that, those are things that were, I was coming in their attack I, I can imagine and, and Ray for, for you personally in your quiet moments over the following days and then weeks so Kim passes away five days after the fight yeah. Yeah. so the following weeks and months is it guilt that you feel is it is it do you feel sorry for yourself like how could this happen to me are, are you, what are those no, weeks no, and months never, like ne- are you depressed no never no, I never felt sorry for myself. I, that's not who. That's not me. That's not my makeup. I, I didn't feel sorry for me. I felt, certainly felt sorry for him, yeah. his family. Yeah. Felt you know deep compassion for his family, and and, and I felt for my family. I, my mother, when I put my mother and father through, my mother was crying every day, and I didn't want to have to see her, you know my mother crying because she was. My mother was in pain for me. Yeah. My mother was at Raymond. I wish there was something I something I could do. I said, Ma, there's nothing you could do. Mm. There's nothing you could do. You've done everything. You know, you've tried. I I have to get through this on my own. And how did you? Know? you? What were you What were you feeling when you were on your own? Well, well you know, the, you know, you, again, you said guilt. Oh yeah, the guilt. You know, the guilt was was severe. Yeah. And but but you know, again, I'm a realist, and I I, I felt, of course, I was part of it. I felt guilty about what happened, but. That was not my intention. That was the whole thing. You know, people always talk about intent. Yeah. And that's the one thing Father Neil and me talked about. When, 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 when somebody, like if a man's driving down the street in a car and a young child runs out in front of him and the man hits the child and the child dies, well, the man's responsible, but that's not his intent. He didn't try. He wasn't meant to. He was just driving. Yeah. The, the kid ran out in front of the street. Yeah. But the man can't take it, you know, he can't separate himself from it because he's part of it, but that's not his intent. 
Yeah. So that was the one thing Father kept telling him after insurance. Ray, it's the intent. My intent as a fighter is to win. My intent is sometimes I have to knock guys out. My intent is to win. My intent was not to hurt my opponent. Mm. My intent is not to, 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 you know, maybe to take him out, knock him out. But that's, yeah, it's a temporary thing, but not permanently. Mm. You, you, our, the intent was to win a, uh, to win a fight. It's a sporting event. So that's what helped me get through it. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. The point is that I knew my intent. I was not that. Yeah. And um, and the only problem is after that is, so eventually you get through it. Eventually you get through it. And, but again, the pain don't go away. And people say some cruel things. I mean, the public, some cruel people are, we're the, we're, we're the cruelest creatures on this planet. Like, like, what, get, like what, Ray? Well, people say to me, you know, hey, uh, Bumble, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. What's it like to kill a guy? God. And I just look at these people like, are you, are you kidding me? Or I say, hey, let me ask you something. We know it's not your fault, but what was it, what was it like when you saw him go down and never, you know, he was never given, getting up again? And But here's the one that I always remember. I went a couple of days later. I went to my nephew's football game, and I'm watching on the line. A little kid, a little kid, about eight, nine years old, I don't know, comes up to say, boom, 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 how high? He says, you know who I am? And I start, he goes, I'm Dooku Kim's son. Now, this is a little kid. You know, this kid ain't that smart to say that. And obviously, I, I, somebody put him up to that. Mm. And, you know, I just you can't believe these things. So this was the type of stuff. Or that would be going. Now, I, I stayed at my house for a long time, you know, for four or five days, almost a week straight. I did, but I was getting stir crazy. Yeah. So I, asked my, I said, I want to go out and get something to eat. I asked my friends. I said, can we go? And we called the restaurant ahead of time. And they put me in a corner and said, well, you know, put you in a secluded area. But certainly, it didn't take long for the word to get out that I was there. And then people would come up and come over, and that's when they'd make these comments. Like, well, hey, let me ask some boom, what's it like to kill a guy? What's it feel like? You know, things like that. Like, flip it. Yes, like, not yes, thinking, yes. no. And that was the stuff that hurt me the most. I think that's the thing that hurt me the most. So, you, yeah, go on. You know, I, I, no, no, that's all. I'm just yeah, saying, no, that, that was a painful thing. It's, that was a painful thing. It's kind of hard you know? to imagine. Um like, are you ever realistically ever going to be able to come become the same fighter again, or does it change how you fight, or what impact does it have on well, your career? You know, the, the funny thing is, look, I fought after that. <laughs> I knocked guys out after that. I had them hurt. I, I put them away. Uh, I didn't think I changed because I had to make a peace with myself to know that if I was going to move forward, I couldn't hold back. If I was going to move forward, I would have to be the same. Try to be the same fighter I was before that. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if not, then that's when you get hurt. You know, that's how I, But people in my corner, my sister trainer, Chuck Fagan, Chucky Fagan said that he knew I was different. My buddy Tank DeSisio, he said he's, he, he knew I was different. Mm. They saw it. I, and I, I never saw that. And uh, Chucky would say, it, it was just things I'd say uh, during the conversation, you know, thing, comments I'd made that they knew I was changing. But here's what I tell people. Difference I, the only difference for me, I realized, was, you know, before, my, when I first started fighting, my attitude was, or before that fight, I'd get in the ring and I'd say, you're getting carried out or I'm getting carried out. Mm. One of us is getting carried mm. out tonight. After that, my feeling was, oh, God, please don't let me get hurt. I don't, my, you know, my, my family needs me. Uh, please um, help me. To, you know, I was always praying for safety for me and my opponent. I always prayed for that. But for whatever reason, it was this time, please don't. You know, I never worried about getting hurt. But this time, I was like, I was praying, please don't let me get hurt. Don't let nothing happen to me. You know, things like that. So, I, I look. If you look at my fights after that, I fought. I think I think I fought with the same intensity. I, I again, I knocked guys out, and I never jumped. I had them hurt. I went after them, but um, somewhere along the way, Chucky and Tank said that I they, they saw the change in me. Yeah. That's say 
So I, I can't answer that. They'd have to answer that. I know um, certainly CBS were no longer as keen because suddenly you're, you're the guy involved in the Kim fight and boxing's under right. huge pressure nationally. So, you know, you've gone from being the 21-year-old superstar, the good-looking guy, the world champion who's going to get all the endorsements, every kind of endorsement going and be on CBS for the next 10 years of your life and a multimillionaire to, well, God, I don't know, can we put this guy on TV in, in the same way? And, and and that's a big factor here as well. Um I saw, I, like, I, again, it, I think a lot of people just have huge sympathy with you and, and how you try and make peace with something like that, where, as you say, intent, intent is everything. I saw I, I saw a quote of yours. I, I don't know if I have it exactly right, but that um, you've seen Kim in your dreams. You, you believe in that stuff. You, 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 you might tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it was after that. You know, people say, I, I, you know, when I say my prayers, I pray for him, pray for his soul, pray for his family. And then, it was, you know, not long, you know, a couple of years after or so that Kim came to me in one of my dreams. And it was very, it was very real, very real to me. Obviously, I woke up, you know, and I was kind of startled. And, uh, but I knew for, you know, I, I believe in dreams. I believe, I believe in guardian angels. I believe in things like that. And I believe somehow because it must have known what I felt. I believe that it came to me in my dreams. And, and basically, we, we just talked, and he was let me say, look, I'm, I'm fine, I'm okay. And I was able to understand him. I don't know if he was speaking English or Korean, but, you know, in your dreams, I was able to understand him, <laughs> yeah. you know. And um, that I just, I'm, I'm, don't worry, I'm, I'm fine. It's not your fault. It just, things happen. And this was my, this is, you know, this was my journey. This is part of my destiny. And, I, and, and that was it. And when I woke up, I felt a, a bit of peace. I felt mm. a bit of peace mm. that I was able to make that. I, I do believe, like I said, I do believe in dreams. And look, it happens when my brother comes in my dreams at times, you know. And there's times uh, my brother comes in my dreams, and same thing. I'd be thinking about him, and he let me know that he was okay and not to worry and move, you know, keep going, moving forward in life. Mm. So um, I believe in that. So you know, for whatever reason, it gave me again, it gave me a bit of comfort. So. I watched your the documentary last night, The Good Son, The Life of Ray Boom Boom Mancini, who's our guest here. And um, like just to add a whole other really thick layer onto the story, uh, Kim, who you fought back in 82, has a pregnant fiancé at home just, yeah. to, just to make everything a million times worse. And uh, his son, Juan, who obviously never gets to meet his father, is born, grows up, learns about his father, learns about you and... and your documentary finishes with Joanne and young me, his uh, fiance, traveling to America to meet you. And honestly, like having watched uh, the documentary as you're sitting on your steps in front of your door and you know that they're coming up in the in the car and he gets out. I mean, it's, it's very hard to even verbalize that moment. Well, I, I can't imagine what it was like for you. Well, you know, it's funny because people have said to me afterwards, how many times did you shoot that? I said, "Excuse me." How many times? You, how many takes that? I said, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. I told the director, uh, Jesse Miller, Jesse James Miller. I said, "Jesse," because I was sitting there and I was thinking. I didn't know how well I was going to how I was going to react. I, that, that's that's like you said. The moment you see me, what you see is for real. I'm. I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't too nervous up to that point, and then it started just getting to me. What am I going to say? How's he going to respond? How am I going to respond? All these things go through your mind, and. I said to Jesse, Jesse, get your camera guys ready because he had two other, he had two cameramen besides we had, you know, he had the, the master and he had two other cameras. They get them ready because whatever you get, you get. I can't do this again. I can't do this 
pissed again. No. So whatever it was, you saw, you saw. And and finally, when he pulled up, um, you know, he came out. And what a sharp young man, mm. you know, dressed with and very very well spoken. And I was able to. I didn't know exactly what to say to him because you see, I stumble and fumble with my words mm. when he's there to say hello. <laughs> my kids come out to say hello. But what really got to me is when his mother came out, and what a sweet, sweet woman. That got to me. That got to me the most. And um, even when they left, we were having at the dinner, when the scene at the dinner later, when she's crying, that, that killed me inside. Because there was a man who she was supposed to spend the rest of her life with, yeah. and she's pregnant with his child, and he's taken by my hands. And that, that killed me. I had an enormous sense of guilt again. After that, for her, right. because of her, right. and that wasn't her. That she was the sweetest lady. It, she it gave me, a, you know, she absolved me of any anything to do with, you know, any, any sin, so to speak. She absolved me of my sin, so to speak. Hmm. That she, they held nothing against me, and and, and, but, and it was great to hear that from him and the son and the mother. But I didn't know what to expect beforehand. But they were such lovely, lovely people. Um, I'm hoping to go back to Korea and see them. I haven't kept in touch with them like I'd like to, but, you know, people's lives move on. I tell people, they, people say, you still in touch with them? And I said, we were. After that, we were for a little bit, but not anymore because people get on with their lives and there's no need to hold back, you know? Mm. And when I go to Korea, if, again, if they come to America again, I hope they get in touch with me. But that moment in time we had, and, we, and I'm always going to be connected to, in their lives and they're always going to be connected to mine. But, uh, at that moment, we haven't spoken mm. in a while. So, yeah, it was that was rough, man. That was rough. I, I didn't know what to expect. I was I wanted to meet him because he wanted to meet me, and I thought I owed it to him. Yes. The, the son, the Juwan, to, to meet him. But I didn't know what to expect. And, man, would you see it? I, I was, uh, and I started getting, man, inside. I was dying a little bit inside. And uh, But it was one of the best things I ever did. I can best imagine. Yeah, I can, I, I can imagine for them as well because it's uh... – Yes, it's 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 complicated, you know. Um, is life good now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My life's very good. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm back in my hometown of Youngstown. I was in Santa Monica, California, for thirty years, but I came back to Youngstown three years ago. It was three years ago, actually, three years ago. Uh, Twenty, you know, what? In a couple of days, two days. I came back the twenty fifth of November of two thousand fourteen, and the reason I came back home was uh, I'm in the entertainment business now. So I wanted to come home to create a full digital media studio in downtown Youngstown. Okay. You can't be sitting in Santa Monica saying you're going to be doing things in downtown Youngstown. You know, even when I talked to the mayor, he's probably saying, Raymond, where are you at? you got to be here. Mm. So that's the reason I came back. Okay. Um, but, I'm, you know, I remarried, and, and my wife's from Youngstown originally, and she was out in L.A. with me for three years. But she's, we're, we're, it's good to be back home. It's good to be back home. And um, uh, so I, I it just things are good for me right now. And, and my, my life's good, and um, you know, I, I just I thank God every day that uh, I, for all the good things I have. And mm. you know, again, you know, for a long time I would say, you know, I, you know, I, I would like you said earlier. You asked me if I, I think, God, oh, why, why, why does that have to happen? Yeah. To me? But then, but then, you know, but then I'm not never been that type of person. I go, you know what? Why not me? Why not me? Why should I be absolved of those type of things? Let things happen in life. The good Lord lets those things happen in people's lives for whatever reason. We don't always understand it, but we have to have belief. My faith tells me, and my faith and my trust and belief lets me know it'll be, it'll be exposed to me someday. But at the moment, it was. It is what it is. So I'm the guy, you know, and it's okay. That's okay. 
I'm not in the habit of saying it often to people that we interview, but you're an amazing fella. And, oh, it's um, very kind. It's very kind. No, it's it's. It, I can only imagine how difficult it all was, and I'm glad you found some kind of peace. So. Oh no, I'm yeah. I, uh, I'm at peace with things now, and I finally, when I met the young man, I was I was at peace with things for a long time. And no, look, that's one. That's how I was able to move on. People say, "How were you able to move on?" I said, "Because I'm, I rely on my faith in Christ. I said my prayers, and I moved on. Mm. You know, I, I can't. And it's the same thing when you go through a painful. I was going through my divorce. You know, when you go through a divorce. You have children involved, pain, your ache, because you have children. If it's just you and the, the woman, you go, hey, look, I love you, you know, but I want, and I want you to be happy and aim with me. Good luck to you. Good luck to me. But when you have children involved, you pain because of what you're doing. You're breaking up a family. You're taking them, you know, so it's hard. That was difficult, too. But again, what do you, you rely on your faith, rely on your trust in God, and you move on. And you have to, because if you don't move on, you get stuck and left behind. Some people never move on with their lives. Mm. I've seen people things happen. I see other fighters that have had uh, fatalities in the ring, uh, and I've spoken to these young fighters and talked to them and told them, man, you know, this is how I dealt with it. I hope you've been able to make your peace, but you got to be able to move on. One way or day, whether you fight again or not, you have to move on in your life. Yeah, well, it's cer- it's, it's cer- it certainly sounds like Father O'Neill gave you good advice. Listen, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, Ray, thanks so much. What a what a pleasure, oh. and uh, thanks oh, for thank doing this. Thank you. I appreciate it. And look, I hope God willing, I've been to every other place. I've been to the other countries over England and Wales and Scotland this past year, this past summer. Next year, it's going to be Ireland. Okay. Sure. Well, come on I in. Come, come on. on. Meet all my yeah. Irish brothers. C- come into us if you're in Dublin. Oh, that's a done deal. Absolutely. Okay. If I come there, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks. See you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Cheers. OTB Gold. The very best of Off the Ball. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 